Yo, what's going on? This is Zid Raw, aka Ziddy Raw. How's everybody doing today? It's another beautiful day here in Otaku Beef Land. And once more, I feel like I'm making progress. That seems to be the name of the game, is to just go, do, 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 put out content, put out content. And I am going to talk about some new stuff that I've been working on that I put out yesterday. But I want to make this first little moment about other people because I feel like we spend so long talking about ourselves. We put so much energy and so much time into making sure that we're good, that we don't give enough to other people. So I want to encourage you guys to take just five minutes today go encourage somebody else go listen to somebody else's stuff go watch someone's independent creative thing and just give them a couple of comments say yo this was dope go on twitter and say hey man i i listened to a couple of your tracks i really like them keep it up give them some encouragement for real though and not in like a bullshit genuine way listen to some stuff on soundcloud uh go check out some images on instagram Find some that you actually like and leave them a nice note. Because a little bit goes a long way. Call up a friend and be like, hey, that thing you're working on, how's it going? Because no one asks. No one asks them how their creative progress is going. Everyone asks them if they got the new raise. Yo, did you get that new raise? How how'd that meeting go? Because it's easy. No one wants to be associated with something so abstract and difficult. They don't know what to say, but you don't have to know what to say. Just go say something nice to them. Um, I think that's just very important. I don't feel like we, we, we share enough love. We share plenty of criticism, but we don't share enough love. I was commenting on, I was commenting on someone's comment on Twitter. I don't even want to, I really don't even want to mention them because they're, they're slowly starting to get semi-known in the indie hip hop community or the, 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 the hip hop fan community. And they put a comment that was something funny and random. I left a comment, like upside down smiley face. And he was immediately like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what that means. What's going on? Other people started getting hostile. And I was like, yo, what's with all the hostility? And I know why. It's because um, he's used to people being twats, basically, on the internet, like immediately the expectation is someone's going to be an asshole. So anything that's anything that's fun or funny that from a source that's unknown or that's not obvious, it's perceived almost as an insult. And I feel that. And all I could do was be like, "Oh no, I was just being I was just saying this blah 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 blah, nice to meet. What's up? I'm Zid." Because I, I, I feel I feel that. I understand where that comes from. He wasn't... He's just being wary because nine times out of ten, someone is coming after him for no reason, about nothing. And I feel like that's a shame. I feel like we should have, like, a better environment that's cultivated. So, I just wanted to throw that uh, bee in everybody's ear and uh, let you guys know that it is perfectly okay to compete with somebody and congratulate them at the same time. I feel like that's kind of where it's at and we should do definitely do more of that. So, I think today, I was gonna watch this new anime last night but I wasn't even able to lay down until 1.30 because I was putting some work in. So, instead I'm gonna move something forward that I've been kind of pushing off. Uh, I want to just talk about a couple of things when it comes to the Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> do like my own personal deep dive dissection. And do you know why? Because I can. Because this is my show. <laughs> so, uh, strap into Otaku Beef. Uh, I really am excited for this one. I'm excited to get into it simply because the Lord of the Rings movies, the um, original Lord of the Rings trilogy, is probably in my top five of all time most enjoyable appreciative and personally satisfying movies i've ever seen in my life 
Lord of the Rings is a very interesting property insofar that it almost re-grasped the mainstream world in a way where it grasped literary and science fiction and nerd world where it grasped the literary and science fiction and nerd world several decades before when uh, J.R.R. Tolkien released the Lord of the Rings books as this odd spiritual sequel to The Hobbit which had come out previously he was originally supposed to write a sequel to The Hobbit The Hobbit is its standalone uh, adventure fantasy uh, you can even describe it as YA, but it's it's very uh, very lighthearted, very fun. A lot of uh, singing, um, Bilbo with the uh, with the dwarves, and a lot of uh, silly scenes and hiding. And a great book for kids, great kids book. So when the publisher asked him to release the Lord of the Rings, he was or to release a sequel, he was like sure. And then he went work. He went to work, and he went to work, and then he went to work some more, and it was like almost close to a decade later, and maybe it was, maybe it was like 12 years later, he was like, here you go, and he gave him this massive tome. I'm not talking about three books, he gave him one giant ass book called The Lord of the Rings, and they were like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) This book is 100% way too big to be a sequel to The Hobbit, it's way too serious, it's way too granular and slow and sluggish in its detail. It's way too dense, way too dark. What are we going to do? And he was like, I don't know, publish the book. And they're like, we can't publish the book. This thing is massive. So he's like, okay, uh, I I don't know. This is what you wanted. So the publisher said, well, let's split it into three books. What do you want to name them? So after a lot of back and forth, after a little ribbing and all this stuff, they eventually came up with the Fellowship of the Rings, the Two Towers, and the Return of the King. Now, when those books came out, it was a big... It was just like a big thing because they came out in like the... uh, I want to say the late 60s, maybe early 70s, during the time of like free love and the time of um, Woodstock and stuff, the books were so popular amongst certain crowds that apparently during Woodstock, there were several people who were dressed up as Gandalf, you know, going around smoking their pipe weed, uh, which, you know, was kind of the same sentiment that came from the Lord of the Rings. So they would see Gandalf smoking pipe weed in the books and they're like, yeah, Gandalf. And they would smoke their pipe weed, you know, kind of the same deal. Pretty fly. Um, in addition to that, there's even mentions where the books were so popular amongst the literary community that a bunch of people were uh, making imitations. Famously, Terry Goodkind, uh, another, another writer, wrote and based his book series off Lord of the Rings. His book series has elves and magic and uh, a lot of things like that. He loves elves. Terry Goodkind. Now, they took the world by storm then to a small degree, like almost like a micro. But then around, when was it? 2000? Maybe 1999, something like that. The Lord of the Rings just found a new way to tell its story. They were like, we're going to tell it in the uh, method of cinema. Which is almost ironic because Tolkien gave away his movie rights for like almost next to nothing. Because he said these books are unfilmable. There's no way you can film these books. As a matter of fact, it would be impossible. This is not an exact quote, which I'm sure exists. But he said, this is not happening. What's crazy is he was right for his era. He was 100% right. He wasn't anticipating 30 years later. (laughs) 
When The Lord of the Rings came out, I hadn't read the books. I had a friend who had read them all, loved them, thought that they were just spectacular and was extremely excited for the movie. When we saw the trailer in theaters and we heard Gollum whisper, my precious, he cheered during the preview. I couldn't wait. So he let me borrow them. First he said, you have to read The Hobbit. Start with The Hobbit. It's not going to make any sense without The Hobbit. Or more, more specifically, you should start the story at the beginning. So I did. I borrowed his copy of The Hobbit. And I stayed up super late reading it. I fell asleep, rolling over the cover, bending it, bending it back. I literally fell asleep on the book. I was so into the book. The Hobbit is a spectacular read, especially for uh, a young man. Like when I, I was, I was young, and I was like, "This mo- this book is amazing." It was it was fun. It was thrilling, and it was right up my alley. I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but. I would really start to get into fantasy novels and remind me to do a little bit of talk later about Brandon Sanderson and uh, Joe Abercrombie and some other guys. I haven't talked much about fantasy books on here. I've talked about other shit, but I want to get into that too. Anyway, when I first started reading Lord of the Rings, it really bored me. The way the story is told is a bit dry that method of storytelling and the way things are described and the way the characters interact I was like the 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 mush around the meat was a little bit thick and I feel like it needs a little bit more a little bit more ease of understanding like some of the phrases could have been simpler some of the descriptions could have been less but I read it and I thought it was pretty cool I liked a lot of the little things and the nuances I liked the world building and I liked the atmosphere that it portrayed but I still to this day don't feel like it's a fun easy read because by comparison, in book form, other people have been able to kind of give you that same feel, but a little bit easy, a little bit, a little bit more palatable is what I'm trying to say. Now, when I went to see the first movie, though, holy shit, that blew my mind. I've never seen anything like it. I'd never felt that particular sense of attention and importance of the fantasy genre on screen. I want to say it was the first time the fantasy genre was really taking seriously in the cinema, to my knowledge. There have been other new, there have been other movies in the past, and there had been some stuff where they had fantasy elements like Dragonheart, which was a nice fun. PG-13 movie for for parents and kids, or PG movie for parents and kids. Um, And then there was the Lord of the Rings cartoon animated movie, which was just kind of whatevs. But other than books, you couldn't really get that same sense of fantasy anywhere else. And we still barely really have any. And a lot of it is treated silly instead of serious like it is in, in, in novel form and I don't know if it's just for budgetary reasons that seems to make the most sense but we're almost on the precipice of being able to do it in a better sense and I can't wait to start watching American Gods but that's, that's neither here nor there so my whole point of saying this is that this is one of those movie moments where it changed the landscape of my mind and showed me that you can do so much more if you surround yourself with the right people and if you are willing to put the energy into something instead of just going through the motions paint by numbers you know this was not that
out of the Lord of the Rings movies, my favorite is still The Fellowship of the Rings. The first movie nails the tone, the pace, the the the, the joy of exploration, miniature victories, and camaraderie that I really loved. There's nothing better to me than companions on a mission seeking out whatever. They go to various locations. They deal with various conflicts, puzzles, monsters, and obstacles. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's basically an RPG come to life where the backstory is just dripping and dense and beautiful and there's little moments throughout the movie that almost make it more real than all other aspects of the series and if you guys haven't seen Lord of the Rings and you don't want to be spoiled I'm going to be talking about little bits and pieces I'll I'll mention some stuff in the extended editions as well just FYI you you can skip the section come back we'll talk about something later but anyway some of the coolest things that the movie did was how it chose to show magic lived in the world Gandalf is an Ishtari, one of the chosen few who came down from basically the heavens or heaven to watch and guide the people of Middle-earth. Now, he can use magic. That is basically shown. But he doesn't just come up and shoot bolts of lightning out of, hand, out of his hand and uh, lasers out of his eyes and, you know, comets raining from the sky, though that would have been cool. It's the subtlety of the power that makes him such a fascinating character. How can you make this magic seem real in a world where it's thought to seem as if magic could exist so what they would do is they would put these little touches inside the film where it was like he would do something just a little bit extraordinary when everyone else would just be doing the ordinary his would be a little bit extra one of the best scenes is when he and Bilbo are sitting down chatting before Bilbo's birthday party and Gandalf and him and they're just smoking their pipes Bilbo, they're talking, they're talking. Bilbo blows a circle, a, 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 a smoke ring, and it just sort of hovers in the air. Well, Gandalf, he puffs his cheeks in and out, in and out, and he turns his smoke into a ship with full staffs, full mast and sails, and then with one final puff, sends this fully detailed smoke shift through the smoke ring where both smoke pieces disappear. It seems little, right? But that little moment lets us know and informs us that Gandalf is a powerful figure. It's, it's, these, it's these little things where it reminds me of these stories of uh, people in like the 1700s whom people thought were alchemists because they could do these little things that were just a little bit extraordinary. I read a story about this one guy whose name I will not remember, but he would just perform these feats. He's probably just a genius, but he would just do these things where people were like, Jesus, how are you doing that? Like he would sit and he would write two notes at the same time, one in each hand. He had taught himself to be ambidextrous, being a little bit extra. And people, because of that, people thought he was an alchemist. Reminds me of Gandalf. 
when I think about Hobbiton and I think about how they constructed it and what they decided to do it's the little it's the little touches that really kind of blow me away they didn't just put something together and say this is the location they went further than that and they decided to create an atmosphere they decided to create an environment that really kind of fed into the ethereal quality of the locales and the locations specifically the first place that we see where it just it's just a little bit more it's just a little bit more brilliant than the rest of the world so like what the uh, creators did obviously they did a lot of practical stuff where they they put uh, certain sections of like fields and hills and they brought in extra plants and they brought in extra leaves and trees and stuff and they made they put the right stuff and then they filmed it right best they could but once they had the footage they took the extra time kind of in the edit bay to brighten it up they highlighted it they added the right types of uh, visual inflections that's one of the things that's so impressive so what they would do is they would take sections of footage and they would color correct it they made the grass just a little bit greener they made the sunlight a little bit brighter and by taking that extra time and not just doing it to where it's like overcorrected to where the colors are extra sharp and a little bit harsher and it looks almost surreal and un unreal this looks like a little bit of a brighter place a better place it's this attention to detail that was important to someone like peter jackson uh this was him at basically his heights where he really wanted that authenticity of the world and of the location to feel like there was magic flowing underneath it or this is a this is a world where the times were simpler but some of the things that we take for granted like i'm standing outside right now um and i'm looking at grass i'm looking at trees and they feel a little bit dim the bark on the trees feels a little bit gray the grass feels a little bit um dark and it's probably because the sunlight overhead is uh we have a bunch of clouds right now but even even with the sun comparing the sun in our world versus this fictitious world it there's no comparison and there was little things like that where they really took the time to say okay we're not just going to put the hobbiton people in this ordinary location and what there's no magic in hobbiton but there is magic is that makes sense there wasn't the magic of gandalf being able to do things that are a little bit surreal and extra impressive it was the magic of the isolation they were simple but happy and content and they had intense attention to uh the detail of their own sloth basically or not sloth the detail of their own comfort it's those details this is why adaptations are really fucking important because stuff that you can do in a book you don't have the time to do in a film and if you're doing some a film from scratch it's hard to really think about subtext who has time to spend years crafting uh languages and locations and places this is why it's in our best interest to receive adaptations as well as well as original properties and even the the original properties that have that depth like Tarantino's works they had the depth because the subtext of the real world is already present we know he knows locations in California we know these musical songs and stuff about Madonna we know we know all that stuff is real and that ad, he uses the real world to add subtext to his fake world which takes place in the real world but if it doesn't take place in the real world you got your work cut out for you adapt 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 um but yeah the brilliance of hobbiton and how they were able to deftly incorporate fake fakeness and make it real
Alright. Let me tell you. Let me give you the microcosm of why the Lord of the Rings works. And a lot of other fantasy series don't. Where M. Night Shyamalan really failed when he tried to adapt um, Avatar The Last Airbender. Why uh, Uwe Boll can never really grasp how to adapt a video game movie. So forth and so on. Is that the books work because we spend an entire front section I want to say like about 80 or 100 pages at the beginning of the story in Hobbiton. Why does that matter? The story isn't about like, the story is about the ring and getting it to this place through the evil terrors and the passageways and destroying it. Why does it matter that we spend uh, a good 15 minutes at Bilbo's birthday? Why does it matter that we get to see, like, in the special editions, there's even scenes where they're having drinks inside the, um, inside the bar. And as they're having drinks, they have these dances. There's, like, these choreographed numbers. Everybody is kind of gathered together. Um, they really feel like this is a location. It's not just, like, generic fantasy stuff. This was its own people. These hobbits were a race they were a, they had a culture so why even bother if the quote unquote fun stuff of the movie is holy shit we're running from ring race holy shit we're uh we're dodging um uh armies holy shit here comes urukai isn't that what's exciting well it's a it's it's the rub it's that's the sizzle but you can't just serve someone a plate of gristle and sizzle and seasoning you need the steak to be well cooked well prepared this is the preparation and it's all character this is why the hobbits are forever more important characters than Legolas now Legolas is a cooler character but we don't care as much what happens to him because we only see that almost like one-sided facet of him figuring out a way to do something cool he's the the sizzle he's the window dressing but we don't care if he just goes out and does a bunch of cool shit like take the hobbit movies for example they were boring and he was doing cool shit up and down round and round and round but he has to do cool shit that matters to us and what matters to us are the characters that we know and associate with the hobbits and Gandalf to some degree so when they're inside the cave a little bit later on in the mines of Moria and there's a troll we only care that Legolas zips up the troll and takes it out because the troll essentially we think killed Frodo or tried to stab him or knocked him out or whatever. That's what's tripping. And you have to be able to realize that that is what matters and that's why, um, that's why we spent that long in Hobbiton because just, if it was just a random character, we wouldn't even have any twinge of, oh, I don't know, or oh, it's cool, look what he did, or oh, there's more than him that meets the eye because we wouldn't really care. They, character building in the beginning is the investment and what he did is he painted Hobbiton with a very specific brush to have a very specific look in order for it to really uh, be able to understand that these characters are so simple and so grounded and so far removed from any sense of danger that when we put them in these other situations we understand that they can't jump a chasm we understand that they don't know how to use a sword we actually know that they are at the bottom of the barrel in terms of skill which makes their growth that much more meteoric that's what i'm talking about hobbiton and uh, the importance of it is all about character building definition and design so that the story affects us characterization is for the story but it's really for us too
There was a time when I was younger that I would get obsessed with worlds, with locations, with places, with the different characters that I would get so obsessed that I would start kind of designing my own characters that would go inside this world. And from way back, I've always used to do that. I did that for like the X-Men, you know, we all would design our own mutants. I would go through dictionaries looking for names, designing characters, give him associations of um, who he can associate with, so forth and so on. I used to do that all the time. And... Whenever I get to one of these movies like Lord of the Rings and I see how in-depth and how detailed everything is, I am just on fire. I'm on fire and I'm alive and I'm just built for it. It's 100% amazing and it's 100% brilliant and beautiful to me when someone would take that time to spend that much attention to detail and that's why Hobbiton is such a special place and that's why it's such a a heartbreak for us to see the place break at the very 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 end of the story where they kind of put it in the first movie they did they did it in flashback mode um where in the books, that flashback mode becomes a reality of what happened when they returned home from war, essentially. But that was not the case in the movies because they wanted to kind of end it on a more positive note. So, like, we were talking about characterization and the, the, the depths of the, the, the bagazins and who is attached to who and so forth and so on. But just the four hobbits, Bilbo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, and how detailed they are as characters. Now, in the original theatrical version, you first meet Merry and Sam when they are stealing fireworks from, uh, from, from, from Gandalf, I believe. Whereas in the extended edition, you see them in like this bar scene where they're sitting around and they're talking. And it's really, really funny because they, you see these tiny characters uh, really living it up with beer and lager and alcohol and stuff like that. But seeing them 100% develop into these type of characters and... Um, know that there's instant relationships between them it's just really well done but anyways by making us care about sam and frodo by giving them a relationship and then kind of giving uh like that's like representation of this is your best friend this is the friend that you die for then there is the mary and pippin relationships where it's like this is my best bud we have the most fun there's different dynamics but the 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 the, the strength is just as is is there as well seeing that on screen it kind of informs a lot of the rest of the story how will their relationships fare when they're together when they're apart it how, how will they grow will they grow together or will they grow apart can people like it matters when Gollum starts getting in between Frodo and Sam it matters when Merry and Pippin start kind of leveling up and realizing hey we kind of have to grow up here we kind of have to learn how to fight and deal with politics and get into the adult world and the adult world and stuff like that and you know it's almost representative of our own childhood and how we're having to grow up and how we're having to mature and I just think it's very well executed that that's basically what I mean when I say characterization because there are cool characters Aragorn Legolas Gandalf but the hobbits are the humans. They're like the humanized, the most humanized. Aragorn is to a large extent, but not nearly as much as the hobbits are. And I think that's why we have to start our story there. 
What's going on? I'm Zid Raw. And if you were listening live on Anchor, that song had nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. I think they just have a band named L-O-T-R. The song was fire, so I played it anyway. Uh, We're talking about Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. I'm doing a little bit of a dissection because I'm fascinated by this movie. I think it's one of the most perfectly executed films ever. And there's so much in here that we can kind of unpack, that we can kind of digest, that we can kind of uh, sift through to really kind of display why this movie has impact as opposed to other movies. And we get so confused when we think it's the budget. It's not the budget. It's they're putting their energy into the places that actually matter and they're having the budget because you can you gotta you gotta first you gotta find a diamond and then polish it up you can't just polish the coal and just hope that it's going to be as pretty once it's polished as a diamond is you gotta find that diamond and that's kind of what they've done um so the second aspect of this film which i feel really makes it pop is the concept of travel and the fellowship so traveling within this type of movie is really fucking fascinating because what a lot of people don't realize is that the traveling is the thing that's happening the exploration is the thing that's happening instead of waiting for something to happen there are moments but the actual movement from point a to point b through an interesting looking and interesting feeling and interesting sounding place is just as much an action beat quote unquote for this type of story and that's where I was always in disagreement with Kevin Smith who famously historically said that the Lord of the Rings is just a bunch of movies of people walking and I would say yeah they are that's the point the point is When you're traveling from point A to point B, and as you're traveling, you're seeing these different scenic locations. You're seeing Lothlorien, and you're seeing the 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 woods of uh, uh, where does Elrond live? You know what I mean, River uh, Rivendell, and then you're seeing the 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 Briar Patch. That is the something because you got to keep in mind the genre that you're. This is an adventure story. And half of the genre is adventuring. It knows what it's supposed to be doing. So what it does is it initially starts with the hobbits are trying to get to uh, see Gandalf and meet him at the Prancing Pony. And that goal is a miniature MacGuffin to keep them adventuring. Is it, you see the brilliance there? They have a goal of meeting Gandalf. Like Gandalf could have came back to where they were. You know, he could have said, all right, I'll be back. Why would he stop in the Prancing Pony? That's a story technique to get them to see interesting locations. It's in an RPG. Hey, I want you to take this to this city down the way. You don't have a horse. You don't have fast travel, so you got to walk. So that on the way you can wander and explore and oh, maybe something happens. Oh, maybe there's a monster. Oh, we have to run. That's the excitement of the unknown. So just showing the hobbits walking through fields, Sam and Frodo walking, walking, walking. Then they get to a point where Sam says, this is as far as I've ever been before. I've never stepped this far outside of the Shire. And he feels that nervousness. He feels that tension. That's the moment where he realizes he's not going to be continuing to paddle in the kiddie pool. He has to step out and see what he can see and exist in deep water. And that is the essence of the adventure. It's the unknown. It's the going. It's the doing. And through the, through, through the adventuring, through the walking, through the locations, the, the, the concept of the journey compiles upon itself so that all of a sudden it's this big in-depth concept that seemed small earlier. 
So, as was established, that is kind of the point of the story. You got to recognize what genre you're in. And that's one of the main fallacies that people don't understand when it comes to um, different shows and different books where they'd label something as good or bad because it doesn't follow the, uh, the subset of what they're really looking for. But really, you need to be speaking to satisfaction. So a good example is Twilight. Twilight is the worst movie series that has a billion fans. Get what I'm saying? Are you going to say a billion people are stupid? Are you going to say all those girls and uh, young women are just, they don't know what something, they don't know what good is, they don't know what quality is. Is that really what we're going to be saying? That's not what's going on. Those movies and those books feed a very specific um, need of, of genre that needs to be satisfied. And when it does it to a good enough quality of a degree that fills that void that is needed, it hits the mark. The, the point of a, a flimsy protagonist and that you can kind of lo- glob your own personality onto of two different, two different guys whom uh, one of them is the uh, untouchable, out of reach guy, and then the other one is the super into you guy, and both of them are really like hot and gorgeous, but for different reasons. That's the point. It's not a vampire werewolf story, it's a romance. It's a typical teen romance drama, just with the set dressing of vampires and werewolves. So you can't be mad at the Lord of the Rings because it doesn't do what Captain America does because that's not what it's supposed to do. And what Lord of the Rings did is that it 100% pinpoints exactly what this story actually is and it delivers to an extreme degree. That's the point. That's the point of the story. You see what I'm getting at? The Lord of the Rings leans in on the adventure side of what it's doing as opposed to just trying to do something else where a lot of these stories fail is they're like well people like action so I'll give them more action and it turns into an action movie and no one gives a shit i.e. The Hobbit it's not the fact that they're fighting it's the why they're fighting the breadth of the location and the sense of discovery which only comes after or the import importance of discovery which can only happen after the length of non-discovery that's the point that's why these movies are so brilliant so moving right along we 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 have the hobbits the strong characterization the story is leaning into their adventuring they've wandered through the uh, the 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 field of the farmer they get through the murk woods and all of a sudden there's the first sense of danger there's a threat and what's brilliant about the threat is that it lingers the the riders the dark or the black riders the ring reds they are a very slow burn of a character they are the They're the Agent Smith. Like there's ordinary other things that could be dangerous, but these are the ones where you don't, you can't win. So you just run. All they can do is try and escape. We've established that the hobbits aren't fighters. They're just trying to to, to get somewhere. And it just, it just hits us specifically. And another thing where they throw in like the little bits of magic and what's actually happening, you see the bit of the woods just slowly expand as if it's breathing like a lung to let you know that there is some darkness here there's some magic work but it's not smoke he's not shooting bolts of black tar it's real and it's subtle 
The next real segment of what makes this story so brilliant and how it really leans into the genre is that it really understands the actual point of the fellowship. The point of the fellowship is not a display of badassery. And they could have done that. There were moments where everyone was looking like a badass, where Legolas, where Gandalf, where Aragorn, where Boromir were going in there kicking ass and taking names. Even Frodo got some, you know what I mean? Merry and Pippin. That is not the point. Because you have to tune in, like what I was saying with Twilight, to what the audience needs. What are they wanting to see? The person who reads Twilight is looking for that moment of romance. The person that reads Lord of the Rings is looking for adventure, which is almost symbolic of freedom and acceptance. The fellowship is the slow development of true lifelong companionship in terms of being accepted into a circle of people who not only accept you, but respect you and rely on you. And you respect mutually as well. Lifelong friendship. That's the point. So you see Frodo and he's sent off on this adventure and this super wise, amazing guy who everyone respects and fears a little bit chooses him i.e. chooses you of all the people in ordinary town, Hobbiton, to go on this amazing adventure because you must be special in some regard. And you can't tell at first, but the more you go on this journey and the more amazing stuff happens, you become of more importance and of more importance. And the other people who are badasses like Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Bormiel, not only do they just look after you, they start to kind of respect you and then they start to admire you and then they're like that's the guy that's really the nature of the journey and the fellowship is almost like the highlighted version of that where eventually they bump into Aragorn and he's basically their protector at the time he starts off as Strider which felt longer in the books by the way than in the uh, movie but that's just because of the reading and then eventually you have this whole cast of characters. The, Sir, the Council of Elrond is such an amazing scene. So amazing. Because Frodo is there. You get what I'm saying? He's there, and for all intents and purposes, he should not be there. He doesn't bring anything to the table other than being basically a pack mule for a dangerous object. And yet, that's why he has to be there. He has to be the one to recognize his specialness. It's his resilience and his tenacity and his willingness to do things that are far beyond him in any capacity. And that's what's kind of cool about it. We spend all our time focusing on who's going to go and whom is going to be a part of this. But it's more about the development of these people who have mutual dislike or even no respect other than this, the, the, the knowledge that their skill matters. You have basically racial tension between um, Gimli and Legolas, Elf and Dwarf. You have disrespect of Boromir to the hobbits, treating them like children and almost like saying they shouldn't matter. But the slow gelling of what they do, them going through real situations it, that's the second part of the growth of the adventure. It's, the, it's the, the slow melding of we're not just, you're not just an outcast who just doesn't fit in in Hobbiton. Everyone says you're weird. You want to go off and do stuff. You're always in your head. Why can't you just be normal? Which is the sentiment of the viewer in a lot of cases. But then you realize that that weirdness is what makes you special. And all these other special people validate that special sense inside you. The companionship the fellowship it's a brotherhood this frodo baggins is where you truly belong no matter what anybody tells you and gandalf was the one who knew first 
One of the cool things about the fellowship that I kind of want to touch on a little bit is the note of which character do you see yourself as? And that's pretty common when it comes to a lot of storytelling. And that's actually kind of the point of storytelling. A lot of it is just catharsis. What feelings and emotions do you need to get out that you can't really experience in real life? So you're able to almost live vicariously through these characters, through their trials, through their tribulations, through their hardships. You're able to get a better grasp on how you could potentially overcome the obstacles in your own life. So I watched The Lord of the Rings as a teenager, like a lot of us, or a lot of the younger guys were probably like really young, or maybe they just saw them recently. Either way, it doesn't matter. I was a teenager, but when I think of the fellowship, which character that I associate with? Now, I admired a lot of them. I really admired um, Legolas because he had all the cool moments. I admired uh, Aragorn, of course, because he had that leadership quality and he was very loyal and honest and strong. But the one I associated with and always have was Gandalf. And that's probably my Myers-Briggs type, my INTP associate of nature, the, the classic overthinker, which I hate that fucking phrase anyway, just because it only strikes to the cultural unfairness of what we consider to be normal. We think somebody who thinks too much is an overthinker, who thinks more than the average person is an overthinker. But we never call somebody over a motor. We never say, oh yeah, that person's an overmotor. Ah, you're, you're emoting too much. You have too much emotion. Can you imagine what would happen if we started saying that to people? It's ludicrous. But people don't operate on a one-to-one basis of logic. It's just shit like that frustrates me. But anyway, Gandalf is whom I've always closest associated with. Because think about it. He's INTP to the core. He wants to do right by people. He disappears, goes and does tons and tons of research on his own. He pours through stuff that most people would be like, what's the point? And he finds the tiniest little bit of knowledge and then comes back and blasts them with a major impact. And I guess metaphorically, the, the magic he does is a metaphor for the type of impact that he's able to have solely based on research. That's the brilliant part about it. He read some book. And then he learned something that allowed him to cover himself in an orb of light to fight the Balrog. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that type of character is who I associated with the most. So when I watch the series, that's where I am able to glom my own personality on top of. I don't see myself doing what Legolas does or what the, the Hobbits do, but I do see myself trying to solve problems that other people can't. Trying, getting frustrated by other people who are distracting me from the problem or asking questions at the wrong times. Uh, Going off and venturing on my own and in my ideal version of myself, being the one to um, do the impossible task that can't be done through ordinary means. Still being able to hold my own and have a sword in addition to the staff, but the magic is my truth and my true nature that's who I see myself as so in addition to that I have a friend who saw himself as Aragorn he wanted to lead and go out and run the run the show but I always saw myself as the one putting the leader in place the king whisperer the king maker whatever you want to call it Gandalf the Istari that was what always made sense when I think about these particular stories so I'm imagining you guys kind of listening to this as well and seeing it differently. Like, who associates with Gimli? Who associates with Merry and Pippin? Whom are you? Someone probably associates with Gollum, the one who needs redemption to become Smeagol. That's real. I doubt anyone associates with Sauron uh, simply because he was almost just an embodiment of a disembodied uh, evil persona, but... This notion that you can fill the slot of the character is the same as Twilight because the girls see themselves as Bella or who they would aspire to be. They are in that admirable position or a Spider-Man. That's the whole point, the catharsis of it, the fellowship.
And speaking of Gandalf, the Lord of the Rings series has some of the best film moments. Just brilliant little moments that happen or brilliant big moments that just take your breath away. This, because of the character, the, the, the character building, the building of the actual protagonists, uh, because of the depth of the world building and the attention to detail when it comes to location, locale, and Hobbiton is different than Rivendell. Lord of the Rings has powerful, powerful moments that are, in all essence, unforgettable. And it's not the moments themselves that are powerful. It's the moments in conjunction with all of the the characterization and the detail work and all of the other stuff. That's why they matter. And actually, there's a there's a there's a fantastic YouTube video on uh, moments in cinema and the reason why Batman versus Superman doesn't work as a film. It's because of the film's 100% focus on moments instead of moments and in addition to character. Character has to come first, otherwise the moments are empty and meaningless. And Lord of the Rings understands this. So, my favorite moments in the film are probably the same as a, a lot of you guys. As I was just talking about Gandalf, I mean, the ultimate moment is when they're running out of the mines of Moria and the Balrog finally comes and you have the tension that something is very massive and very intense and dangerous is coming and we have never really seen a full display of Gandalf at his power, not really. There was a little brief wizard battle with him and Saruman and there was a couple of little cool like almost tricks that he did but in terms of him and his full power we hadn't yet seen it but we we felt his power we know that Gandalf is powerful and even the strongest among them revere and respect him to the utmost and to build the tension by having a character who we know is this powerful with looks of fear and just fright on his face because of the Balrog in the distance, because he'd been wanting to avoid it, and Saruman saying, you know what lies beneath there, don't you, Gandalf? That type of stuff, it, it all adds to the relief from that tension which is the beautiful moment of the confrontation of the Balrog coming at him with a whip of fire and then Gandalf finally having to tell his uh, companions to flee and you see the actual magic for the first time him battling amidst a ball of white energy the energy glopping off of him fire and lava pooling over the orb that surrounds him while he makes his chance and the Balrog this towering, ominous figure. And then Gandalf says, you shall not pass. That moment doesn't work without the buildup, his tension in his face, him see, seeing him revered by other characters, seeing him in a wizard-style uh, conflict with Sauruman and with... Um, Gandalf uh, doing things that the ordinary person cannot do. That moment only matters because we have these characters that we care about, the hobbits that he's trying to protect, the, the characters who have accepted the hobbits and the fellowship. That's why that moment works. That's a moment.
other moments include when Aragorn fights the main Urukai, who's kind of like the big bad of the uh, the first film. It's because they've been chased and chased and chased and just missed and chased. And finally there's an explosion in battle and he's the main baddest one. So who gets to take him on? Aragorn. That's a moment. When they had the Council of Elrond and all the greatest, the heads, the legion of, um, of, all, of all the races, men, elves, dwarves, hobbits, you see them ride up and they're playing the hero music beneath them as they ride up like and then they trot up on horseback those are mo- that that's a moment including the actual council meeting that's a moment when gandalf is sitting in frodo's house waiting for him or waiting for Bilbo in Bilbo's house waiting for Bilbo to return and Bilbo says no it's mine it's mine he's not going to give up the ring and Gandalf increases in size increases in depth and tone and basically frightens him but then shrinks back down and shows him kindness fear and kindness back to back that's a moment when Frodo finally gets to Rivendell and finds out that Bilbo is waiting for him and Bilbo is excited and giving him sting and showing him the mithril and then he notices the ring and then in a split second he he snatches out and tries to grit it and all of a sudden you see him turn into a horror with pointed teeth and that's a moment you get what I'm saying? Each moment, each bit of brilliance only comes because of what previously came before it. The moment is the relief from the tension. And relief without tension is just nonsense. It's waffling. It's just a bunch of stuff that kind of looks cool, but it never quite looks as cool if you don't have the history. This is what Lord of the Rings brings to the table. This is why it's one of my favorite films. And I especially spent this time focusing on Fellowship of the Rings because that's my favorite out of the favorites. Though there's some great stuff in the other films as well. But as an addict and a fan and somebody who has the um, extended edition, the original extended editions that came out on DVD, not the re-releases, just the, the, the first ones that ever came out. I have all three for each one know that I understand and I appreciate the, the, the impact and the power of something that's crafted so well. I, I respect nothing more than someone doing something to the utmost degree, just constantly, constantly pushing and pushing and pushing until it is perfect. And I don't mean perfect in a technical sense. I mean perfect in an emotional sense, in a philosophical sense. He understood the characters of The Lord of the Rings. He understood what was going to work in film and what was not going to work. This was Peter Jackson at his best. Him and the crew, the acting team, they all pushed to make sure that the realization of this work by Tolkien, the depth, was laid out as full and extensive as it most possibly ever could. And you have this incredible swath of talent, John Rhys-Davies, Viggo Mortensen, um, Sean Astin, brilliant actors and actresses, and it's just an amazing, an amazing work. So if you ever wanted to know anything that I particularly love in terms of fiction, in terms of fantasy, it's those movies. And I hope I was successful in sharing some of that love with you guys. 
As always, thank you guys so much for listening to Otaku Beef. I'm Zid Raw. I appreciate you guys taking that little walk from memory lane when it came to Lord of the Rings and more specifically, The Fellowship of the Ring, my favorite movie out of all of the Lord of the Rings movies. I hope that I was able to provide you guys a little bit of entertainment, but regardless of that, I am personally thoroughly entertained by being able to do this. The fact that I can just sit and talk and dissect and do this stuff in between when I'm trying to make music, when I'm trying to write books, when I'm trying to put stuff out, it's a, it's, it's a fantastic blessing and I, I, I couldn't be happier. Um, as always, I'm just going to throw out my channels of where you can find me. Where I've been most active as of recently is on Twitter. So reach out to me on Twitter at TheZidRaw. Give me a shout out. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know how your day is going. I'd love to chat and chop it up with you guys. In addition to that, I'm putting out a song a week on SoundCloud. Follow me at ZidRaw. I recently put out my first two. I'm going for more than that. The third one I'm about to actually record right now. I have the whole song ready to go. I just need to record the vocals. And then we're going to go work on the fourth one this weekend me and friends it's gonna be fire uh, in addition to that find me on instagram at zidraw the wizard snapchat is zidraw and youtube is zidraw so always this is always in love i love everybody i really want to push and i hope everybody's doing whatever it is that they want to do and i'm particularly speaking to the creatives just because i know how difficult it is to really get support for whatever it is that you love if you're blessed to be within a wonderful family that supports you um, know that you are 100% lucky and you need to tell their family that you love and appreciate them as much as possible if you don't have them just know that I love and appreciate you uh, with the very fiber of my being because I know how hard it is when you're just trying to stay up a little bit extra to do what you want to do and nobody really understands will just know that I understand from really the soles of my shoes to the top of my head I fully understand I've been there uh, you're gonna get there uh, me and my, my my friends we have a 100% positivity and support collective that we try and we push each other to um, only focus on the positive of productivity and pushing and doing what we can so I hope you guys can do the same uh, know that I look 100% look forward to meeting every single one of you. Uh, I, I would love it if you guys would call in. I'm just having a blast doing this. I'm just going to keep doing these. They're too much fun. Uh, so I appreciate you listening to Otaku Beef. Go to YouTube. Check out some Otaku Beats. And uh, love, peace, and serenity. Beep. <laughs>